love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So, as you know, I have gotten very fat. No, that is not true. (laughs) In in the slightest. Well, no, no, that's. I not. think we've both put on a few pounds. Yes. Since the beginning of quarantine, the quarantine thing has right. been hard on a lot of people, and you know, especially like the the middle part of me. And um, so, <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed the other day uh, your supportive, loving reaction when I was like, "I look slim, right? Like I'm looking good," and and you were like, "Didn't you start?" Like watching what you eat yesterday, and I was like, "Yes, and it is working for me." I yeah. I love your optimism. Thank you. I love how you're creating your reality. <laughs> Thanks. You're speaking just, the truth into being. The thing is, like, I don't have, like, I don't need to be like thin for anyone. That's not something that I need. But I am uh, growing out of my clothes, and I am so cheap. I am not going to buy new clothes, so I'm going to lose the weight I need to fit into the clothes that I have. All right. Especially since I haven't been able to wear those clothes for the past year. Yeah. Because I don't have anywhere to wear them. I know. They're brand new. Somebody online said, uh, I miss my going out clothes, so I put them on and they missed me too, apparently, because they hugged me real hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm also trying to watch what I eat. And for me, that means only uh, one can of Pringles per sitting. Um, I'm actually really, you have been really laid off the Doritos and the Pringles <laughs> the last week or so, and I'm just really impressed with you. Well, I've substituted cucumbers, and, and oh, they're so much better. Uh, I know it. <laughs> I know. Uh, the thing is, I do resent you a little bit, because you can just be like, oh, look, I'm going to stop eating this bag of chips every day, and instead uh, drink like a glass of water. And you're like, look, I lost 10 pounds. <laughs> and me, I'm like, I've eaten nothing but salads for 16 weeks. But you look good. I've gained two pounds. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're so supportive. <laughs> and as a uh, a reward for your good behavior, I've got a story for you. January 1967. That was the month that the very first person was cryopreserved after legal death. They were the first person frozen in hopes that in the near future they could be thawed out and brought back to life. It seems like something that would have started in the 60s, for now, sure. That's, that's interesting, right? I mean, that is interesting. But what makes this even more interesting is that the guy that was preserved was preserved by a TV repairman and two potheads. No. <laughs> among others. Yes. In 1965, the Life Extension Society offered the opportunity to preserve one person free of charge, saying that uh, the Life Extension Society, quote, now has the primitive facilities for emergency short-term freezing and storing. Doesn't really seem like quite the ad. You know, it doesn't really grab you. <laughs> Not the advertising positioning statement that would... Uh, Woo my business would would coax dollars from my wallet. You know, you can picture yourself on this sofa watching a late watching a trendy movie or yeah. picture your lifeless corpse lying on this beautiful bed of dry ice, completely bloodless and full of antifreeze. <laughs> so that offer was to freeze free of charge the very first person who wanted to try out cryogenic suspension. Um, not surprisingly. I like the first one's free offer. I mean, that's very like, <laughs> your, you know, pusher man kind of <laughs> mentality. It's like a, a cryogenic punch card. <laughs> so there were no immediate takers. No? No, no, no. But shortly after that, there was Dr. James Bedford. He was an American psychology professor at the University of California. He wrote several books on occupational counseling. When the free offer was made, Bedford did not uh, accept that opportunity, but later he changed his mind. And so he became the first cryo patient using his own funds. Basically what he did was he, he took out a life insurance policy on himself for $100,000. And when he died, that money went to the uh, cryogenic society, the Life Extension Society. Unfortunately for him, there were family members who didn't want him to do that, and so they fought it in court. I guess his wife and son tried to honor his will, his wishes. Mm -hmm. Others in the family said, no, we should have that money. So they spent most of it in court fighting it out. That's gross. There were some monies left. So where does the TV repairman come in? For real. Well, his name was Bob Nelson. He became obsessed with cryogenics and immortality. In the early 60s, he fixed TV sets. That's what he did. He was a TV repairman. But his real passion he found in the pages of Dr. Robert Ettinger's book, The Prospect of Immortality. This was a book that came out in 1962. And in it, he theorized that death was nothing more than a disease and that it could be cured. Okay. The idea, of course, is somebody dies of a disease, you immediately freeze them in the hopes that generations from now, maybe even centuries later, uh, we would be able to cure these diseases or reanimate dead bodies and they'd be thawed out and, hey, second life, woo! Tom Brady's still playing. Oh, my God. That's so weird. So Nelson, the TV repair guy, became obsessed with this idea. In 1966, the Life Extension Society in Los Angeles was holding a seminar, and Bob decided to go. 
Nelson told This American Life, the TV show, in uh, 2008, that when he decided to go to the first meeting of the suspended animation group, he said, quote, I remember going and thinking, I'm not going to be allowed in because I'm not a scientist. I went in and came out voted as president. So this was in 1962, and this organization, which was a nonprofit, was really just made up of people that had, uh, they were dreamers. They were interested. They were interested in it. There, there was really no scientific involvement from Oh, scientists. Uh, There were no medical doctors involved, no morticians, nothing. It was just a bunch of people who thought, hey, this is really cool. (laughs) Nonetheless, Dr. James Bedford said, I'll give her a go. He was 73 years old and he died of kidney cancer, but not before agreeing to having his body cryogenically preserved by the, quote, experts from Cryonic Society of California. Unfortunately, (laughs) Dr. Bedford died sooner than he expected, and they hadn't finished building his cryonic capsule that was being constructed in uh, in Phoenix. And so he's dead. They're about three weeks away from having this uh, capsule completed, this cryonic uh, coffin, mm-hmm. essentially. Well, you know, it's like that's what he's preserved in. That wasn't even close to being done. So... Isn't Arizona where that other cryogenics lab was yeah, that had, yeah. like... Why are all these cryogenics labs in Arizona? It is like the hottest place in the world. Yeah, I know. And you're freezing people. Alcor is the name of that uh, company you're talking about. Why don't they set up shop where it's cold? Like here in Bangor, Maine. It would save on energy costs. It's for sure. I mean, there's a reason that Google has like all of its big computer guys in a cold place. I don't remember the details of that at all, but it's because it's hot and it's (laughs) the energy it takes to, you know. So when Dr. Bedford passed away, Nelson had no choice but to store Bedford's body on ice. And he didn't have enough ice. So he called his neighbors, who were a couple of of hippie pothead types. Mm Mm-hmm. And they said, sure, that's, you know, that's no problem. In an article from allthatsinteresting.com, Nelson said, quote, When we froze Bedford, man had never been to the moon. There had never been a heart transplant. There were no GPSs. There was no GPS. There were, there were no cell phones. So I just called up my neighbor and said, listen, I got a problem. I've got a, like, a frozen dead guy. And the potheads were like, you got a problem? Yo, I'll solve it. Check out my corpse before I dissolve it. Wait, no, that's not what he was trying to do. He was trying to do the opposite. So he got a bunch of, basically they stored him in ice from these hippies freezer. So Nelson took the frozen guy, put him in the back of his truck and drove it over to his friend's house. And uh, he said, quote, it was crazy. I look back on it now and I think, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So so this guy, Dr. Bedford, he's just packed in ice in a freezer at a pothead's house. Uh, Finally, the cryo capsule was finished. Bedford was injected with medical grade antifreeze. Oxygen was pumped through his entire system with an apparatus that's called an iron heart. He was then placed in the capsule with dry ice. Now, Nelson's inexperience wasn't the only issue that created challenges. His organization also didn't have any money. They were often forced to freeze their subjects because there was there was more than one. There were like nine total oh. that they did, but 
Dr. Bedford was the first. They were forced to freeze their subjects in dry ice in boxes that were lined with styrofoam, pretty much a large styrofoam beer cooler, body-sized. Oh, man. Now, they weren't the only organization that was interested in doing this. There were other organizations in the field of cryonics, but none of them had employed doctors or morticians. But Nelson eventually got help from a mortician. He was the guy that injected the bodies with the right fluids and then was, was able to store up to three of those bodies packed in ice at his mortuary. But oh, okay. by 1969, he was getting uncomfortable with this process. Sure. So, in 1970, former TV repairman turned dead guy freezer bought a large underground vault right outside of Los Angeles and he planned to preserve bodies and store them there. There were nine total. Okay. Many were placed in the same capsules, and there they stayed for more than a decade. Did they know that they were going to have shared capsules? I think that that was probably made clear. Okay. Because I know, like, if I go to the hospital, I want a, a single room. Mm, you know, sure. I don't want to share a room right, right. with someone. Yeah, it's like a, it's almost like a corpse hostel where you never know who your roommate's going to be. Right. And they probably aren't going to smell good. So the problem with Nelson wasn't just financial, but it was the biggest problem. He was always running out of money and was consistently faced with problems of replenishing the dry ice and keeping the irrigation going. Right. Again, at this point, it was a very primitive attempt to preserve bodies. So after the money ran out by March 1979... Nelson locked the vault and just walked away from the venture. No! Inside that cemetery vault, he left nine bodies in liquid nitrogen capsules. Without any type of constant maintenance, these bodies would be left to decompose. The cemetery ultimately just covered up the entrance to the vault and denied it even existed. Stop. They denied having any records of it. That's not what we do. Now, in that same episode of This American Life, Nelson said, quote, When I did put the lock on the vault, I was heartbroken. I went out into the desert and had a, a ceremony and said goodbye to these people. I did the best that I could. Not surprisingly, he and his partner, the mortician, were sued by the families well, for a, yeah. a total of $800,000. He did settle. Later on, he said the prosecution had made him look like someone who was trying to start a new religion. He said, quote, someone trying to bring the dead back. It was a brilliant attack. I couldn't get over it. I mean, it's kind of what was happening. Yeah, I guess. Technically, yeah, I think. Yeah. By this point, he was exhausted. He had no money left. So he literally just walked away from cryonics altogether and moved to a different location and changed his name. He wrote a book in 2014 called Freezing People is Not Easy. Yes! Yes! <laughs> so what happened to Dr. Bedford? Well, his body ended up being moved several times over the decades before being relocated in its final destination at Alcor Life Extension Foundation. Oh, hey! That's where it's been since 1991. When they brought him there... In 91, they removed him from the primitive capsule that he was in and put him in a new, more modern capsule at the facility. And they said they found him to be, quote, miraculously well-preserved, a well-developed, well-nourished man. He appeared younger than his 73 years. Now, he'd been wrapped in a sleeping bag, and that sleeping bag had frozen to his corpse, 
but they were able to successfully remove it without any tissue damage. He resides to this day on ice at Alcor Extension, Alcor Life Extension Foundation. Oh, wow. Um, the Alcor facility holds about 150 frozen corpses, including, bum, 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 the frozen severed head of baseball legend Ted Williams. <laughs> now, I did an episode on that really early yeah, in the Box of like Oddities. Yeah, I think it was the second or third yeah, there was an expose, a book that was written by one of the former employees there. He has since retracted his stories that he told in the book. Oh. But because, well, he was, they sued his, sued the life out of him pretty much. Sure. But he said in the book that when they were transferring Ted's head from one capsule to another, they propped it up on an empty tuna can mm-hmm. and the tuna can had frozen to his head and so they tried to knock the tuna can off, off his, with a wrench with a wrench and pieces of his head came off yeah well bits of tissue not yeah. like your skull cap or anything just like pieces of flesh or something yeah. like that just chunks of him no big deal but the reason they, little had, bits. they had these empty tuna cans was because they had a cat there i remember and just roaming about you know, I wonder if they kept the kitty litter thing right in there next to the frozen bodies. I think that's probably why I remember the story. Because there was a cat. cat. <laughs> Can I pet him? I got my information from Wikipedia, all things that are interesting. The program This American Life and Bob Nelson's book, Freezing People is Not Easy. Amazing. And now, that thing in the middle. The Bicycle. It was first introduced to the public in the 19th century in Europe. But oh, it was scandalous. When it was first invented, some people worried that the ankles of female riders would be on display and that that would distract men. So, the early designs for the bicycle had a curtain that you could draw to hide those delicate legs. If this podcast were a cookie, it would probably be chocolate chips, nuts, and little metal shavings that get caught in your tongue. Bad cookie. Bad cookie. This is The Box of Oddities. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, If you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? 
I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We got a message on our Facebook Freaks group from Shannon. My year has been made, they wrote. Listen to Box 306 and I heard my name. I was in the car driving home after dropping off my daughter with her dad for the weekend. We had listened to the first half on the way there, so she missed it. I started screaming uncontrollably, and then I called my mom. She answered the phone, all quiet and calm, and then I screamed <laughs> at her like a death metal singer. Holy fucking shit, it happened. My mom, panic in her voice, what, what happened, are you okay? And after I explained, she yelled at me, God damn it, Shannon, you almost gave me a fucking heart attack. <laughs> then she lightened up and we both started laughing. I had to pull over at the next exit so I could send a link to her and my daughter. Thanks, Kat and Jethro. I've been in a high all weekend and it's carried through to Yucky Monday. And thanks, Carrie Clark, for that post on the Freaks Group. So much fun. Oh, my gosh. I, yeah. So that's twice we've mentioned Shannon's name. Mm -hmm. God, I hope she wasn't driving. If she writes in again, we'll have to. <laughs> it will be a never-ending cycle of Shannon. Somebody on that thread said that they, they wait with great anticipation when we talk about the Freaks group because they're hoping that maybe they'll hear their comment mm. mentioned. It was like waiting for the lottery. There's so many good <laughs> comments. You people are funny. There's no getting around it. Unfortunately, so. if this was a lottery, it would be a lottery where you, you win nothing. <laughs> what? 
you got for me? What what you what what you what you got for me? What 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 what, what you got for me? Somebody sent us a video of their young boy, a little boy. Yeah, here it is. It's from Vicky. She said, my son and I listen to your podcast every time we're in the car. We can't leave the house until it's on. His favorite part of the podcast is uh, what you got for me. And then she sent this video. Hi, guys. Me and my mom have big pains. And I'm wondering, can you guys do a live stream again? Because if you do, I would be really happy. And that's it. What, what, got for me? So the pressure's on. Yeah, well, we had intended to do another one right quick, and I've just been eating pizza. (laughs) But but now that you're watching what you eat more, it'll give give you more time for a live stream. All right, let's, right. uh, let's plan on... Let's let's just say it. Let's just say You're something insane. and creating a deadline for ourselves right now. How let's about, do it. Let's say let's say the end of March. Okay. All right. Done. The end of this month. Done. By the, sometime this month. Oh God. I hope we can pull this I'm off. I'm so nervous already. All right. <laughs> oh yeah. The point was, what do I have for you? Yes, that's that's what yeah, I was. Sorry. I, I okay. was getting to in, in, in case I wasn't making myself clear. Okay. Puknam Shin was left in the care of her father after her mother died. It was the early 70s in Korea. Her dad was an alcoholic. He ran a grocery store and uh, he had remarried. Poknam Shin soon had a stepsister, Yoon Suk Shin. But one night, soon after Yoon Suk was born, while their father slept, Poknam awoke and saw her stepmother gathering up her younger half-sister and leaving the home. Hmm. And they did not return. She was only about two at the time, and she was left alone with her father. When she was five, Poknam Shin was pulled out of school by police. The officer escorted the child to his car, and they drove to a nearby train station. There, her father had stepped in front of a speeding train. What? What? Wait, what? Yeah. And they took her immediately to the accident scene. They asked her to identify the no. body. Oh my God. She at was five. five years old. Oh my God. Yes. So obviously this was a terrible experience and um, she freaked out and ran away. Soon she was settled into an orphanage and she said that she wasn't sure why the people running the orphanage had her taking care of kids and babies. But eventually she figured out that she was a little bit older than the rest of the kids. And she really found joy in helping take care of them. She said, I loved babies so much that I really didn't mind at all. Mm. Uh, When she turned nine in 1978, she was adopted by an American couple and she was given a new name, Holly Hoyle O'Brien. She settled into her new home with three new sisters and six brothers in Virginia. She did have some obstacles, obviously. Uh, Language was a big one Mm -hmm. and culture differences, as well as nightmares. Totally understandable for someone who has had so far a pretty traumatic life. One night she woke up in tears and she came to her parents and she said, My daddy died and I have a sister. We need to find her. This comes from AP News. So Holly's mother contacted the orphanage, and there was no record of her having a sister. 
And that was because the sister and the stepmother had been gone for years by the time um, Holly was adopted. Holly graduated. She got married. Holly's husband contacted the orphanage again just to be sure that there were no details about her family there, and the results were the same. Holly earned a CNA license in 1991, and she got a job at a nursing home in Virginia. She moved to Sarasota. She had to um, go through a divorce at some point, and she said she really wanted to experience new things. So she applied at Doctors Hospital in Sarasota. I feel like Doctors Hospital is a really weird and redundant name, but that's not up to me. Um, That's like saying Mechanic's Garage. (laughs) Maybe there's more to it, and I just don't know. Um, it's I'm sure it's a very nice hospital. Anyway, she had applied several times to Doctors Hospital in Sarasota several times. Did I just say several times twice? You said it several times. Oh, my God. So Doctors Hospital at this point is still hiring, and they're looking to add another employee. After a new hire kept pushing that they should, they kept looking into this other medical assistant. Megan Hughes. But there was a problem. It was minor, but it was significant as far as computer language goes. Her name had been misspelled on the paperwork that had been submitted to Doctors Hospital. So her name was M-E-A-G-A-N, and on the paperwork it said M-E-G-A-N. So there was a real holdup because of a stupid A. And it took a few weeks to figure out this issue, but eventually... Megan, after an interview, she aced the audition and reported for work on March 1st, and she was assigned to the fourth floor. So Holly and Megan are now working on the same floor. They are working the same shift, 7 a.m. to 7.30 p.m., and they struck up a friendship quickly, as you will if you're working together. And, you know, one of the patients actually mentioned Megan to Holly. She said, there's another nurse around here named Megan who's from Korea, and you should talk to her because maybe you're from the same town, which I know sounds kind of nice, but in my head, it was real racist. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, you're from the same country. Country. You must know. You every- must know each other, right? But they did. They they quickly bonded. They became friends. And as they started spending more time together, they started noticing coincidences. So yes, they were both from Korea. And yes, they both did have missing families. And yes, abandonment was listed on orphanage paperwork for both of them because yes, they had been both adopted to Americans. And then they discovered that they shared a surname. Mm-hmm. So here are these two women working on the same floor of the medical surgical unit of this hospital in Sarasota. And they would go to lunch together, they would meet after work, and they would compare notes on the incredible similarities of their stories. So eventually, I mean, you have to, right? Holly ordered a DNA kit from Canada, Uh and the orphans did mouth swabs. They sent the samples back in early August, and the lab results were returned to Holly via email on August 17th. She was actually on jury duty at the time, which I'm super jealous about, but let's not get into that. Turns out the match was positive. Uh Uh-huh. Megan Hughes was too young to remember her father or much about her biological mother for that matter. She does have faint memories of being in a Korean orphanage, but she was adopted by an American family in 1976 and grew up in Kingston, New York. Megan's family moved to Venice in 1981 
because her father was ill and she graduated from Venice High School in Florida. Megan qualified as a certified nursing assistant in 2002. She began her career in home health care. She moved on to Sunset Lake Health and Rehabilitation Center, where she got a job as a physical therapy assistant. And that's where, in 2012, she met Matthew Nelms, who is also a CNA and a physical therapist. They became friends. They both wanted to work at Doctors Hospital in Sarasota. And it was Matthew who got a call from them first. He had actually accepted another job, and it was six days before he started his orientation at that job that doctors called and offered him a job. So he took the job. And before he left for work, Megan had said, do you think that you can get me in there? So he said he would try. And that's what he did. He kept telling the hiring staff at Doctors Hospital that they needed to hire Megan, which is what led to her paperwork being resubmitted with her correct spelling. And that's how she got a job at Doctors Hospital. That's amazing. So after all of that, after these journeys from Korea into orphanages, different orphanages to different American families in different states, they both ended up in Sarasota working at the same hospital on the same floor, and they were sisters. That's incredible. What are the freaking odds What of are the odds? It's got to be astronomical. It's unreal. And I can't imagine like the emotional roller coaster that comes with that. And knowing all of the, the things that could have gone differently. I mean, if her friend Matthew hadn't insisted that they keep looking at her and if right, uh, right. her father hadn't gotten ill in the first place yeah. and, it, you know, all these things. Anyway, I got my information from Time Magazine, The Guardian, AP, and Sarasota Herald Tribune. And that is the story of how sisters from Korea were adopted and ended up working at the same hospital in Sarasota, Florida. I can't help but think that, you know, they're starting to get to know each other and they're Mm. like, hey, I like this. So do I. I'm from there. Oh, I'm from there, too. Mm. Well, what about this? I do that. And all of these things start coming together. And the first one thinks, could this possibly be? No, this can't. My first thought would be like a single white female kind of situation. Like she was catfishing me and trying to get something from me. And I'd be like, okay, girl. (laughs) Okay. Back off. Okay. And then you would just leave in the middle of the night and you would have missed your lost sister. Well, at least I wouldn't be murdered behind a dumpster. Sure. There is that. That's always a positive. Um, but the first one, the first sister to go, you know what? We should we should get a DNA test. I mean, that's a pretty big leap yeah. because you've got to be thinking, oh, the odds of this actually being true right. are astronomical. You probably have a better chance of winning the lottery than something like this just occurring naturally. Wow. Amazing. Oh, you know what we forgot to do? No. Last episode, announce the uh, the winning organization <sighs> For the Order of Freaks donation, every month on Patreon, we donate 10% of all the support to an organization that the uh, Order of Freaks vote for. And the most recent recipient is... Girls in Tech. And what do they do? I mean, I kind of figured it out. But Girls in Tech is dedicated to providing career development skills and a community for women in technology fields around the world. So we'll be sending 10% of our Patreon support money to Girls in Tech this month. If you would like to join the Order of Freaks, you can do so by uh, going to our website, 
theboxofoddities.com and signing up on Patreon. Thank you guys so much for your support and for supporting these incredible organizations and, you know, like giving a shit. I mean, yeah. it's so easy to not give a shit and a lot of people don't and it's cool that you do. That's all I have to say about that. And with that, I'll say we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2021 All rights reserved Hi, I'm Neil And I'm Ken And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.